0: Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to the podcast, conscience that made us. Interviews and stories, tales from the bus. We love taking you back to when it all went down. The greatest live shows and the cheering crowd sound. It's concerts, concerts that made us. Concerts
1: that made us.com!
2: Hi, this is Evert snyman and you're listening to the Concerts That Made Us. <laughs>
0: Edward and you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us.
2: Uh, thank you very much for having me, Brian.
0: I've been looking forward to this one now. I'm excited to chat about All Killer Filler. You released it on the 28th of July. It's a cover album. It's not something you see musicians put out all the time these days. Can you walk us through where the idea came from?
2: Um, the thing is, I've always been, for every album that I record, I always record a cover just for fun because uh, I, I like to have like B-sizes. I mean, I'm I mean, I'm almost 40 years old. I'm, I still come from the days when you had like singles and they would be like extra B-sizes. So I didn't like in that vein. Then eventually I, well, I've i made a couple of albums. So I had like about three or four covers already. And I thought like, well, why not? Why not just make a cover album? And like, also I've been working on a new album that I want to put out next year, but it's not ready yet. So I thought, what can I do quickly just to put something out this year? So... Because, you know, you're always trying to keep visibility and all that stuff. And then I just went back uh, back to all the stuff that I loved and I was like just trying to choose all the right songs. And then, yeah, that's basically how it came along.
0: Right, right. And how did you approach the song selection? I'd imagine there's probably hundreds of tracks you'd like to have included. What defined what songs made it?
2: Um, well, every song on this album is like, These are people that I, well, artists that I've listened to since I was, well, since I was little and obviously since I was a teenager and stuff. So, and the songs that I I actually learned to play on. So, I mean, like Search and Destroy was the first time that I was actually, uh, well, Search and Destroy is like the perfect punk song for me. And that's how I learned how to palm mute, for instance. And I always just loved that song. Uh, Pina Colada I mean everyone loves Pina Colada I, I like a lot of I um, can say like corny stuff I, I actually wish that I'd cover some Billy Joel But obviously I'm not <laughs> as good at, good at piano as he is I want to do a couple of those I mean when I was checking out all the songs I was like shit I should have covered this Or I should have covered that So narrowing it down Because I mean I, I there's 12 tracks in the album But I think I, I had like something like 15 or 16 extra songs That I never finished or just I ran out of time You know
0: Mm, yeah, I get you. I get you. And you know, these songs are known and loved by millions. How did you go about putting your own touch on them? Were you apprehensive about changing them a bit too much?
2: Um, it all depends. Like, like the ones, like for instance, like the Blur one, the Blur cover, and the Search and Destroy and Zero. Those are the three, the three songs that I like kept it more to original because I just thought I can make this shit heavier. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, and I mean, obviously I know what I'm capable I know what my limitations are and like how my voice sounds. So I just try to put my spin the way that I put on it since I was like a teenager, like for instance, like zero, I've always, always loved melancholy and infant sadness, uh, cause that's what introduced me to tuning my guitar, like half a step down, which is like a clever way of making people think that you've got a much better range that you actually have. <laughs> so. Had to do that one. And also, the fact that it was so short was a little bit easier as well to record. So, I mean, uh, I don't know. I just, like, I always put my spin on stuff. But with covers, it's always weird, man. Like, for instance, like the Tom Waits one, that was actually my buddy who said, no, nah, you should cover Tom Waits. I've got the perfect song for you. I mean, I'm not, like, I haven't listened to Tom Waits in, like, a shitload in my life. But when I heard the songs, like, oh, I've got an idea. Uh, so then I just made my own arrangement for that. So... I try to keep it as close to the originals as possible, but sometimes you veer off. I mean, it kind of, I guess it probably kind of uh, uh, was determined by the mood I was in the day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, (laughs) And, you know, probably a bit of a silly question, but what are the limitations to doing a cover album compared to an original album?
2: Well... I think there's less limitations because people already know the songs. I mean, when you're writing your original songs, you've got so much self like crippling self-doubt, like, are people going to like this? Are people going to understand this? But with a cover album, it's like it's kind of like you're paying homage to stuff, uh, homage to the music. And I don't know. I don't really think like that. I mean, my I've got a firm belief that if you expect anything from music, you expect way too much. you got to do it because you enjoy it. So. I, I I always try kind of do that approach with. I mean, I've I, like I never thought I'd make a solo album in the first place with the, the last three, and I always wanted to do that, but it was always too. You know, you're, you you feel kind of self conscious putting your name on it because if you make a mistake or it sounds like shit, it's your fault, you know. <laughs> but it, you can't hide behind a band or whatever, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And speaking about enjoying the music, I'd imagine the recording process was just like one big fun jam session, was it?
2: Well, a lot of it I jammed with myself, uh, but I mean, I had here and there, I had buddies playing some bass and drums and stuff. I mean, this is a lot different to my previous album where I had like a shitload of different people playing. I think it was like three or four different drummers and guitarists and whatever. But um, yeah, most of the time, like if I, when I do have time, I'll sit down, then I'll lay down the drums, lay down the bass, lay down the guitar, and then go smoke a joint, and then lay down the, the vocals and... I mean, it's, it's, I've been doing it this since I was like 14 and I've been, my dad always used to say when I play him a, a track, because, okay, let's go a little bit back. I got like a eight track, I think when I was about, I think it was about 14. My dad used to work at a, he used to do like voiceovers for dubbing and whatnot. And then when they, when they switched to digital, he got like all of their old analog equipment. And then that's how I learned to play. Well, that's how I learned to record And that playing stuff and be like, oh, is someone else playing this or are you just playing with yourself? I'm like, no, I'm playing with myself. So that was like a joke that I've been holding on to for a couple of, well, well, since the beginning, I guess.
0: <laughs> and, you know, the artists you covered on the album, what is it about them that speaks to you?
2: I think it's the songs and the the songwriting is what i and I mean, I mean, obviously, I chose these songs because they influ- influenced me greatly. Like, for instance, like uh, uh, Graham Coxon is one of my favorite guitarists of all time. Uh, uh, Iggy Pop is one of my favorite frontmen of all time because he can't sing for shit, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? The songs are great. If the song is good, I mean, it's. I think it's got a lot to do with the the conviction that they give off um, with the songs. Like, it all of those songs make me feel something, and I mean, ultimately, that's. Why you make music is to feel something, you know?
0: And speaking of feeling stuff, obviously you didn't write the song, so you don't have a message, but what do you hope fans and listeners get from the album?
2: Well, if they like it, they like it. And if they don't like it, then that's also all right. As long as I like it. I mean, I mean, that sounds kind of uh, weird because I think a lot of people get stuck in that thing. Like, I mean, like Metallica. They've been making... I mean, all hats off to them. They're like a powerhouse and stuff, but they've been making kind of the same album for the past 40 years, you know? And with me, with the, doing a cover album, that's like the riskiest thing of earth. Cause, Cause people are like, Oh shit, you've run out of ideas. But for me, it's like, I always like to do things that scare the shit out of me. Cause that's the only way that you kind of grow as a musician or as a person, I think probably in, in general, you got to do things that challenge you. I mean, if you already, if you've already set your path and you know exactly what's going to happen and, it's kind of like um, the reason why we don't like spoilers when we when we or if, I, if you've got spoilers in a, uh, of a movie, if someone tells you what's go- what, what happened in the movie, then why the hell would you want to go watch it? You already know what's what's going to happen. You know, it's, it's exciting not to know what's going to come, what's coming. You know, that's kind of part of the beauty of life, I think.
0: Definitely, definitely. I like that answer. It's kind of I have a personal mantra myself when it comes to life or work. If it scares the crap out of you, don't question it. Just do it.
2: I think the thing is like even with the the albums that I that I with the albums that are original stuff I write what I know and what what I like I don't really give a shit who else know uh likes it or not I mean as long as I like it because I mean if you like something I think that energy will always carry across to the audience because it's much easier to give conviction I mean if I I can't have conviction with something if I'm trying to write something that I think people will like you know what I mean
0: yeah, true, true. It doesn't uh, have the sen- same sense of soul from you, I suppose. And uh, at this stage, so we'll dive into your early influences to give the listeners a sense of where you come from. So if you can, can you remember your earliest musical memory?
2: Um, that would probably be my dad playing piano. Uh, I saw him playing piano from a very early age. Like My dad's side of the piano was quite... Ugh, my dad's side of the piano, my dad's side of the family was... Uh, very musical like my sister also plays piano and my uncle played violin and stuff i mean i they're all classically trained me not i i was like kind of a late bloomer i mean i went for piano lessons stuff but it bored the living shit out of me it was kind of like oh you have to do this because we all play piano and then when i started uh joining bands and playing bands it, it i mean it, it gave me a sense of purpose i was like a very quiet it was a very quiet withdrawn kind of child so i think it helped me to climb out of my shell a lot because i mean i'm i'm the kind of person i'm an introvert that's um portraying a an extrovert but i'm very introverted but i mean with earlier music earlier influences definitely beatles a lot of billy joel abba uh, creedence clearwater revival uh, deep purple like a lot of the 70s stuff um i don't know anything that i would dig you know, I, I just don't like the Eagles.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Christ, Christ. Have to ask, what's wrong with them?
2: <laughs> I don't know, man. I think I just never got into it, man. I, like uh, my, one of my friends, uh, uh, Johnny Holiday from Rough Magic, he always said that the only reason why the Eagles are, uh, are one of the best selling bands of all time is because everyone was trying, keeping uh, everyone kept on trying to find the album that had Hotel California on it. <laughs> that I just kept buying albums, trying to find that track. I mean, this was before you had Spotify and all those jazz. You had to actually, I think it was just negligence from the fans trying to, or people <laughs> trying to find the bloody song, the album. I don't know, it doesn't speak to me. But I mean, if it speaks to anyone else, I mean, it's, I'm not the kind of person who trashes everyone or whatnot. I just... Different tracks for different facts. That's probably a, a quicker answer for that one.
0: Exactly, exactly. But I do think Johnny may have a point with that about yeah, finding that track. And, you know, during your teenage years, then, what music, what type of music were you exposed to by Friends? And how do you think it moulded you into the musician you are today?
2: Well, the kind of music, I mean, I I grew up in the the new metal era. I mean, I was, what, I'm... I was about i i i, I was in tenth. I don't know what you guys call it. Like matric is what we call it here. In well, what we used to call it here, like twelfth grade, we were like core and all that kind of stuff. But I always liked the I always liked the music that no one else liked. I don't know. I just I've always I've, I've I know, maybe it's like a, a fucked up thing about me that I always want to go against the grain. But I would. I would always go for music that no one else liked because I thought I I saw a lot more in it than because, I mean, I felt more like an outcast, so I'd rather choose music that made me feel something rather than going with the herd. But a lot of Blur, a lot of Blur, Listen to a lot of Blur, a lot of Foo Fighters, a lot of Queens of Stone Age, uh, Nirvana, obviously, as well. I mean, that's how I learned to play guitar. I mean, that's that's how basically any rock musician my age probably learned how to play guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Akua Shaker, Supergrass, a lot of British bands, actually, funnily enough, as really? well. Really? Yeah, and I love Supergrass. And I mean, that was like the saddest thing for me was when Supergrass uh, broke up. It was like, God damn it, I'm never going to see them live. That's why um, I'm so glad that Pixies actually reformed. Like, That's probably my favorite favorite rock band of all time is probably the Pixies. Like, listening to the Pixies, um, none of the elements that are in the Pixies, like... None of it really is or things that I like particularly. But for some reason, when it's all put together, it's like heaven for me. Yeah, yeah, I
0: completely understand. I actually saw them in concert myself. My first ever concert, and they were supporting the Chili Peppers. But oh, man, I was just there for the Pixies.
2: Yeah, no, I would also be there for the Pixies, rather. <laughs> you know, but like Chili Peppers, I like to, like, for instance, my favorite Chili Pepper album is One Hot Minute, and that's an album that the band hates. I mean, <laughs> I think John Frusciante refused to play any of those songs, and there's some really good bloody songs in the album. I mean, Warped, uh, Coffee Shop, My Friends. I mean, those are classics, you know? Tear Jerker, they wrote for Cobain. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Nice segue now speaking of concerts what concerts that you've attended would you say have made you
2: um well i think we don't get a lot of internationals like like i've said now before like a lot of the stuff that i dig is not really stuff that's always popular in a country, uh, in our country but i mean i remember watching Lenny Kravitz when he was here i think that was around 98 99 there that totally blew my mind loved I just love the precision of doing it I mean also I think Lenny Kravitz and Beck as well they inspired me a lot to actually want to become a multi instrumentalist because I thought well fuck if if they can do it by themselves I, I've got a. I've, uh, hopefully I'll have a long knife, life and I'll be able to do that one day <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I would have to say the the best concert I ever saw was probably Pixies that was when they were here I think it was 20 I can't even remember I think it was 2016 to 17 around there and it blew my mind, man. I, like, I don't know if you know rock, rock music, the song Rock Music. I think it's the second track off uh, Bossa Nova. I could never figure out what the hell he was singing. And then it, when I was like two meters away from him, um, watching the concert, I mean, everyone else is dancing around me. shit. I'm just standing there sucking in. And I, was, I just hear a mouth mouthing. your mouth is a mile away. I was like, shit, now I finally know. Because the lyrics weren't in the bloody, weren't in the booklets or in the lyric sheet. So I mean that was just mind blowing. Also, the fact that they never talked. I mean, says no, no, they did talk. They said, "Hey." I'm like, okay, you're definitely not a fan if you don't know that "Hey" is the part of, <laughs> it's the intro of "Hey," you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Frank Black in particular, I'm a huge fan of Frank Black. he's one of the best. Best. Well, I love his voice, and he doesn't have a particularly good voice, but the the way that he sings, it's not how, um how he it's not how he sounds, it's the way that he sings. Yeah,
0: yeah, completely agree, completely agree. And you mentioned being a multi instrumentalist. I'm intrigued by this. Now, what makes someone become a multi instrumentalist? Is it a kind of a curiosity or a boredom that makes you move on to other instruments?
2: I think um, I felt very um, alienated, (laughs) or uh, I was very. uh, I'm trying to look for the word. I felt very felt much like an outcast and stuff, and. Trying to get people to play with was always a pain in the ass because no one ever really liked what I liked. I mean, I'm lucky today that I've got amazing guys backing me when I play live that also love the same music. But I mean, it, I think it came down to the fact that if I didn't learn how to play drums, I wouldn't have drums on the recording because I'd have to rely on other people to play drums. And people always left their drum sets. You know, drummers, they always leave their drum sets home. Then I, I just taught myself. I mean, I had I had piano lessons, like I said before, when I was about eight to ten, left that. So I retained where all the notes were. And I've I've always been singing. I've been singing since I was four years old. We I did like I stepped and shit, got like uh, gold certificates. I never knew at the time why. <laughs> Everyone's always like, No, when you sing, it's so amazing. I'm like, you know, I'm so bloody shy, I can't handle this shit. So did that. Um I I I started playing bass. Um uh, because uh, I think when I was when I just got into high school, the seniors played a played a show and I saw this band. I was like, you know, this, this is so shit. I can do this so much better. But that's now the the arrogant uh, part of me. And then we were like, cool, we're going to start a band, but no one wanted to play bass. So then I thought, well, fuck it, I'll I'll start playing bass. And then uh, from there, I got a little bit bored. I thought like, well, it only has four strings. Then I started playing guitar, then drums at the same time. harmonica and then eventually i got back to piano i mean i run out of ideas when i start running ideas out of ideas on guitar then i'll write on piano when i run out of ideas on guitar and piano then i'll just start with the drums like a lot of my songs are built from the drums drums are like the most important thing from earth i I love drums and i always try to find good drummers who are better than me Yeah, they're like the the cornerstone of any song, really. I mean, if you, if you think about it, I think uh, Dave Grohl also said this. If, you, if you've got an average band with a great drummer, you've got a great band. If you've got a great band with an average drummer, you've got an average band. The, the drums is everything, man. Like, I mean, if we all had jello skeletons, we wouldn't be fucking be able to walk around. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I'm sure there's listeners out there wondering Is there an instrument that you just feel at home with and then is there an instrument that when you have to play it, it's like oh man this just feels like work
2: uh i don't know i i kind of i've i've been practicing and playing for a very long time so i mean i I think the only one that i start getting rusty on is drums because that's very much like you're using your whole body with that so i haven't played drums for two weeks and i get a bit rusty but i'm actually pretty comfortable in everything i mean i I drive, I probably drive my band to insanity. I mean, especially with the albums that I record everything myself. I'm like, no, fuck you, don't play it like that. It's like this, it's like that. And then I'm I'm always feeling terrible because I'm like, shit, I want them to be invested. I want them to be happy. And I mean, obviously they're there for a reason because they believe in what I'm doing. But I don't know. I'm pretty comfortable. That's where where I'm the most comfortable is when I'm performing. I mean, I... I used to, I was like, uh, I had like general anxiety disorder, I got uh, diagnosed with that about 2019, and I would have, I had like a panic attack for about three months, it like basically felt like someone was crushing my heart. Oh, man. The only time that I would feel normal was when I got on stage, I put that that guitar on my shoulders, and I start singing, then I would have absolutely no pain. So, I mean, it makes me relax, so... It would guys, guys. You could argue that's that's where that's where my comfort zone is. I love instruments. Any instrument that I can pick up with, even if I don't know how to play it, I'll be able to screw around with it. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I get you. I get you. And speaking of which, then for any listeners that haven't caught one of your shows, what can they expect? Lay it all out for them.
2: Well, I don't know, man. Like that's I'm not watching myself. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I like to. I don't know i just give 110 percent, man uh also make sure that my band gives 110 percent. i just I, okay what you can expect we don't really have a lot of gaps in our songs so we literally will play the show from beginning to end because we all we only play in one tuning we don't use like drop d or any of that shit so we can basically play any song in any sequence any time so you never know what the hell's happening because i mean that's the one thing that always annoyed me watching shows especially like with local bands if they play one song it's like oh this song is called this, and it's about that. Like no one gives a shit, what you have to say? <laughs> they want you to play. I mean, uh, watching Foo. If you watch Foo Fighters as well, they're like probably, arguably one of the better, best live rock bands. I think still that still exist today. That they never stop, man. They just keep on fucking going, and it's like a, it's like a bloody rollercoaster. And when it's done, it's like shit. What the fuck just happened? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Same with Queen of Stoneage as well. Queen of and I mean, they've got multiple tunings. You see them live. It's just they're like the musicianship. That's like what I get off on. I don't really care about the accolades and stuff, all of that kind of jazz. I just really love playing a song properly and with passion and with all my buddies. And some, I mean, that's the only reason why I keep on doing it. I mean, it's not like I make millions and millions of rands or dollars or yens or whatever the hell the fucking currency is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And you know, out of all the gigs you've played, then is there one you revisit over in your head as maybe the perfect experience you've had?
2: I would say those those would be more of the the shows that were empty. Those right. are the shows that I remember because those are the ones that make me appreciate it when I do have a show that's fully packed. But, I mean you you won't know uh, You you won't be able to compare, you won't be able to be happy if you haven't, if you won't be be able to experience complete bliss or happiness if you haven't had like total fucking devastation in your life. So that's the only way that you can equate it. So I'm, I'm just grateful every time I can just put a guitar on my, on my shoulders and be able to play and sing. I mean, that's, I've, I've, i try I think that's, I would argue that that's what I think my purpose is. I mean, when I was, Four years old I kept saying to my parents a- Aksuka Duel, suka Duel this is now an Afrikaans and they couldn't figure out what the hell is a duel then they went to like every bloody uh, uh, toy store that they could find and then the one day got to this toy store and I saw this little red guitar It's like yeah that's my duel and uh, rough translation a duel in Afrikaans means a purpose oh. so that's kind of weird I don't know how the hell that shit worked out but <laughs> <laughs> been doing it ever since ease
0: man and you know that's that has to be one of the most interesting answers i've got for that question now normally it's like oh the time we played to thousands of people and it went perfectly but considering that's what you consider a good experience what's the worst experience you've had and how did you deal with it
2: well i think the worst experience would probably be when uh well, fuck, when you've, when your guitar fucks out, or I don't know. I don't really see it like that. I, I, I always think that you appreciate life more when more horrible things happen, so that when something nice happens, it's a lot more invigorating. I don't know if that's the right word. I mean, you've, you've got to be, I mean, the most important thing that I've learned in the past lifetime is that you have to be grateful for the things that you do have. Cause I mean, like, it, you, Sorry, this is a hard one to answer. I mean, uh, you can't. Uh, Jesus, I'm trying to think of the words here, man. Uh, I don't know. I just try to appreciate everything that I do have. Cause, I mean, life is short, man. And I mean, you can try to compare your life to other people's lives, but you never really know. I mean, for instance, if you look at like couples on Facebook, they're always posting pictures of themselves together, like, oh, we're so in love, and meanwhile, behind the scene, they're fucking miserable, you know? Yeah. Having to flaunt what you have, uh, flaunting what your relationship is on Facebook it's it's not for everyone else. It's actually for you and that person. You know what I mean. It's a much more personal kind of experience. I don't know if that answers your question. I don't know if I veered off a little bit too much.
0: <laughs> no, no, I like it. I like it. You're uh you're definitely giving me very very interesting answers anyway. And you know, considering the anxiety and everything, how do you psych yourself up pre-show and then afterwards, how do you wind down?
2: No, the this the the show is what helps me to wind down. Like um, I. I refuse to take medication, so I don't take any SSRIs or antidepressants or calming tablets or that stuff. I have I've, I've figured out in the fa- past five years that if I don't do a certain amount of things during the day, if I don't like totally exhaust myself, I won't be able to go to sleep. So that's how I deal with it. I, I deal with it by trying to keep as active and trying to move as much as I can. That, so I, I don't even see it as anxiety. I see it more that I just have too much fucking energy. I mean, even my wife, who's like ten years younger than me, she's like, she doesn't. Under, she always says to me, "I don't have as much energy as you have. I don't know how the fuck you were doing this." <laughs> I mean, we'll we'll be jamming and have a have a rehearsal. I'll be able to I'll be able to play fucking six six hours straight. I'll be able to scream my brains out for six hours straight because that's when I'm the happiest. And obviously, you're always going to do things that alleviate your stresses or things that make you happy. I mean, that's what you should be doing in life. I mean, we have to do so many other things that we don't like to be able to to make a living or to keep on living I mean, like paying your taxes and your rent and work having a job and all that stuff so when you do get to the things that you love you've got to do that as much as you can because life is fucking short
0: yeah yeah that's for sure that's for sure and you know how do you engage with your fans and what role do they play in your musical journey
1: well I well
2: if, if when I have to uh Compare that... To, well, if I have to use a show as an example, like, I'll look at the one motherfucker who's not moving and I will stare at him until he's moving. I'll jump off the stage, roll around the ground, and I'll fucking dance in front of that motherfucker until he fucking moves. Or until I piss him off. You know, it's it's only, it, it's only shit when you have no reaction. A bad reaction is better than no reaction. You mm. don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> but I mean, like... I, I always I always do appreciate it when people are like ah oh, we really dig this or whatever. But I mean like ultimately like I said to you like everything I write and play I do it for myself. I, I do it if I'm if I'm not like, getting off on it, I don't think anyone else will. Yeah,
0: yeah, I gotcha. And you know, when it comes to the band then how do you deal with disagreements or anything like that within the
2: band? Nah, my brand, my band are like brothers, man. Um the thing with my band is that I think as well. I I write the majority of it, or all of it, and most of the time I'm tracking everything. I mean, it also depends on who's available. I mean, they always said that about Paul McCartney, like uh, I think it was Denny Lane or whatever who played with him in Wings. He was like, if you're recording with Paul McCartney and it takes you more than three or four or five takes, then he's just going to do it himself. I mean, it's, it comes back to the same thing, why I learned all the instruments, because I always had to wait for people. And I've got this... I'm not a very patient person when it comes to that kind of stuff. I just want to get the shit out. just want to make music as quick as possible. I mean, I mean, I feel that you get people who spend years and years making an album, and then eventually it's so fucking watered down. And I mean, even like the way when I record bands, because I also run a studio, like I try to make people as comfortable as possible. And I try to capture it as quickly as possible, because you're not going to, once you're past the third take, you're not getting an honest, um, performance anymore because then now it's then then it starts becoming a play you understand what i mean yeah i want to try and catch that raw emotion
0: yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense actually the the quicker the sooner you can get it the the closer to the rawness it is yeah
2: but i think with with disagreements uh, if they don't like it then they leave and that's also okay. <laughs> the, the people who are there want to be there. Like uh, like my bass player, Andy Kappa, he's the frontman of, uh, of Caution Boy. One of the best, uh, he's one of the fucking best musicians I know. He's like the, his riffage or just his songwriting, the conviction and his vocals, all that stuff. Like, that's what I look for. And I mean, with my entire band, most of them are frontmen. <laughs> most of them are actually also multi-instrumentalists. So they also get off on it. So... It's kind of like we're all wanking in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> right. right.
0: The music videos are interesting, then I'd say.
2: <laughs> yeah, no. Well, we, we won't be won't be wanking a circle for a music video. I think that need to, that would be like X-rated shit. We're not in fucking guar, You know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and to take that a step further, then, would you say you're a hard man to work with?
2: Um. No, I I wouldn't say that. I think, well, fuck, I don't know. You'd have to ask my band members. But I mean, I don't know. Like, I, like f- for instance, every time when I get a new drummer, they're like, no, I'm going to learn this exactly the same way as the way that the previous drummer played or the way that you played. I'm like, no, just make sure that the tempos are right and that you stop where you stop. But you don't have to play the full the same. You have to play it the way you play Because, I mean, that's why I asked you to play in my band. I mean, all the people that I jam with I chose them because I know I want that flavor live. I want new interpretations of what I've recorded. I don't want it to sound the same live because I mean I mean, even if you listen to Queens of Stonics, they don't play shit the same anymore. They've changed stuff. They add like little medleys in between. I mean, that's what makes it fun. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. It does. You have to keep
0: it. Exciting. I'm always wondering myself, you know, with performers, when they're playing the same, especially, say, take take the Foo Fighters or Queens of the Stone Age, when they're asked to play like no one knows for the 10,000th time, you know, they have to change it up and keep it exciting for themselves.
2: No, exactly. Exact. I was almost going to interject that, but you said exactly what was on my mind.
0: <laughs> right and you know when it comes to your career how do you measure success what does it mean to you
2: i mean i think with success as long as you're if you can get paid for doing something that you love you'll never work a day in your life but i mean i think we put so much strain on ourselves uh, people in general or people today especially now with how fucking interconnected everything is it's always a play for everyone. I mean, I think success is if you're happy. If you're actually happy and you're content with your life and you have gratitude for the people in your life, that's what I see as success. If you have your health, you have success. If most of your family members are still alive, you have success because then you get what I'm saying. It sounds a little bit uh, horny, but that's, generally, that's really how I feel about it. I mean... There's never a guarantee with music. There's never a guarantee that people are gonna like it or that you're gonna make money out of it. I mean, most musicians are crazy because they do music. <laughs> I mean, who, who, whose fucking parents are gonna are gonna be happy if they if a the child doesn't want to go to college to become a doctor and they they rather be, want to become a musician? They're fucking gonna be worried, man. Yeah. You got there's gotta be something wrong with you to be able to write music, you know. <laughs> You have to be. I mean, if you listen like to Chris Cornell's lyrics and stuff, like I think there was one interview that I saw that they talked to, I think it was Tim Commerford. There was before Cornell was de- uh, dead, uh and he said to him, I think the lyric line was like, I'll be waiting there. And then he asked him, like, what are you waiting for? And he said, Like, I'm waiting for my fucking death. And the guy was like, Yes, that's <laughs> like what? I mean, that's generally also what I do with lyrics. I I literally I have no censor. I write exactly what I feel, even if it pisses off whoever the hell might think it's about them. Cause I mean, in the end of the day, the truth will always come out. So why should never hide the way you feel? Cause then you act, if you keep putting up a facade of what, what you want people to see, you're not living, man. You know, you have to be honest. Cause if you're honest, then you'll attract the people that are more like-minded to you.
0: Yeah. True. True.
2: Like, Instead of writing stuff where you think, oh, if I write this, then people will dig this. Like, that's why I don't make psych rock music. You know what I mean? And that's like quite a big thing now here in South Africa. Like, everyone's about the psych rock and the doom and fucking all of this stuff and stoner rock. I mean, I, I'd I rather make something that sounds like nothing. Nothing like any of styles, styles. Or I'll use all of the styles in one song. I mean, that's how I get off. I mean, one of my favorite bands of all time is Buddle Surfers. And they are basically unlistenable've <laughs> yeah. got, yeah. got a weird I've got a weird uh, way of uh, listening to music, but like it's it's a lot more about a feeling than it is the the sound yeah than what you're actually hearing and you know if that's
0: the case, then how do you deal with you know negative feedback or criticism about your music?
2: Luckily, people are all entitled to their opinions. <laughs> That's the way I see it. I mean, fuck, if you have to worry about every bad thing that someone says to you, I mean, think about, well, like Billy Joel, for instance, he only made it with his, I think, with his fifth album. His first album was a total fuck up because they screwed up the mastering thing and then the pitch went up. So he sounded like a chipmunk. He was the laughing stock of that, uh, of the record label or the, the whole country. And then he literally. Just started touring with that sh- that screwed up album because I mean those that that's back in the day you've already printed those vinyls so you can't like call them back and fix them or what. And then by the time he he I think it was with uh, I think it was with turnstiles, he just decided screw you guys I'm not I'm not doing it the way that you want it I'm not using the musicians that you want me to use he got all his own guys and then all of a sudden his shits started skyrocketing that's when Piano Man started coming out I think it was actually um What was that song? Damn it. Captain Jack. Captain Jack was like the song that put him on the map. And no one thought that that would be the song that people would like, you know? But you you got to stay true to yourself. I mean, even if you never get anywhere, at least if you don't fucking lie to yourself, because living a lie is much worse. I mean, if I had to make music that was incredibly popular and I'm making millions of dollars at every show and I've got fucking yachts and mansions and shit, it would feel quite empty because I know I'd be fucking lying to everyone
0: yeah yeah and you know is there any milestones or anything left on your bucket list at this stage in your career that you want to achieve
2: oh i would love to i'd love to go overseas i'd love to play overseas and uh, i don't know i've got a shitload of ideas i mean, like i want to make like a techno album for instance Really? Like, a totally, a totally. like but like i don't know if you've heard of a band called tobacco
0: no actually
2: amazing amazing it's a guy who literally he only uses synthesizers drum machines and his vocals is always on the vocal it's like the filthiest electronic music you've ever heard like i'd like to make something like that i'd love to make like a folk album i'd love to make like an RB album because i mean that's you can make like i said you can make the same album over and over or you can make something totally different i mean the same thing happened with when like clockwork came out from queens everyone was like oh shit mark Lanigan's on it Fucking everyone who was on Songs of the Deaf is on it. Oh, we got a new Songs for the Deaf. And when it came out, people were like, What the fuck is this? And I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> because it didn't sound anything like they did before. Even now with, with villains, people are like, Yo, oh, no, villains is so shit because it's so thin. It's so that's like, yeah, but it's different. You actually had the you have the like you got to get another Queens of the Stone Age album. Why the hell are you complaining?
0: Yeah. And before we dive into the last couple of questions then, future plans, what can you tell us? Lay it all out for us.
2: Yeah, well, at the moment I'm starting to, I've got a new drummer now and I've got a keyboard player finally also played guitar. So we're going to start with rehearsals now. I try not to, uh, I try not to gig too much in the winter down here because I've got like severe nerve damage from uh, shingles that I caught too late. So the cold doesn't work well for that. So I try to avoid gigging in the winter. But we'll probably. I'm. Um, I'm thinking about recording like an EP with like the new lineup, and I want to release a new album I've been working on for a while now. Next year, uh, we'll hopefully start gigging here by September, and then maybe in like the next two years, we want to try and get over, overseas. I mean, you got to you got to get a lot of capital and a lot of backing and a lot of visas and all that shit. But that's basically what I'm trying to work out. But I mean, in the meantime, I'm just probably going to write a, a lot more songs. <laughs>
0: Right, right, and uh, when it comes to shows, can we expect any of the songs off All Killer Filler?
2: Uh, we, we've been doing. uh we have been doing the Tom Waits cover and the, uh, uh, and Search and Destroy. We have been doing live. I'd love to do. Well, I'd love to do all of them live. So I mean, it also depends on cool. We've we've played this enough. Let's do the next one. I mean, shit. When I when my new when I got my asked my new drummer to play to join my band, I was like. Cool. So here's a set list. He's like, fuck, dude, it's like 30 songs. I'm like, yeah, we can't play the same shit at every show. Be different. <laughs> every show has got to be different. I mean, that's that's why you're a musician is to know as much music as you can and to play as much stuff as you can. I mean, it's also from that, if you've got a really good set and everyone's knows all the music, then that's also where that other thing comes to play, where people start adding their own flavor and you start playing stuff differently. And then it becomes exciting. Then it becomes something that's bigger than you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, we'll dive into the last few. So these are a couple of random ones, but I'm intrigued to see what answers you come up with. If you could see any
2: performer
0: from history in concert for one night only, who would it be?
2: Probably Billy Joel. Really? Probably Billy Joel, but I, I still have the, I mean, he even sounds good today and he's like in his 70s. He still sounds young. It blows my mind. He's he's only. I think his residency at Madison Square Garden is only ending now um, in January next year. He's been playing Madison Square Garden for ten fucking years, man. He literally he's got a what he's got a plane and he lives in Manhattan, so he, he gets on a gets on a chopper from his mansion, then they land at the the concert, and then he plays, and then he goes home. Not a bad day's work, huh? <laughs> I mean, that's—I wouldn't say that I would would want to see the Beatles because uh, the earlier Beatles stuff didn't really resonate with me as much as like the later stuff, like White Album and Sergeant Peppers and Abbey Road and Let It Be and that kind of stuff. I would have loved to have seen like the rooftop performance. Like, Look, that would have been great. But yeah, definitely Billy Joel. Man, Billy Joel is—he's like the best. I think he's the best songwriter of all time.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. The next one though, This is a bit odd right if you had to spend 24 hours locked inside a room with any musician from history who would it be
2: Yo, i'm trying to think now man uh any musician oh like that's also the other thing is like it would have to be someone who's not my idol because i'm way too like i don't want to be disappointed <laughs> that's <laughs> I, I would i would say Fuck! I'm trying to think now. Probably Beck or Billy Joel or I mean, it's it's a I wouldn't be able to choose one man. I've got too many influences. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah. you. Paul McCartney, yes, Paul McCartney. That's who I want to spend that time because he's a nice old man. He wouldn't he wouldn't fuck with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you see, I often think that myself, but I wouldn't want to be disappointed if he's not how he seems or not like what you think he would be.
2: Yeah, I know, but I mean, if you look at uh, look at Paul McCartney's career, he never gave a shit when everyone thought. Like a lot of people, little people always like me. Growing up, I always thought like he was the commercial Beatle and everyone like uh, loved his stuff because of the frog song and he did like all of these like happy kind of shit. But like some of the shit that he made, right off the Beatles, people hated him and they hated the music he did. They were always trashing him in the press and stuff. And he he fucking he just loved to jam. I mean. If it wasn't for paul mccartney we wouldn't have had as many beatles albums and songs that we did he was like the guy who slave drives them to make all of that shit, you know
0: yeah he was pushing them along yeah
2: and he's literally he just loves music i mean i think i saw an interview with him lately or recently where he said um all he ever wanted to be was to be known for his songs and being a good songwriter I see i mean like that's probably what i want as well i just want to be known as a songwriter i don't really give a shit. People think I'm amazing. Oh, he plays all the instruments. Oh, he can scream. Oh, he's got a range. It's like the songs are what live on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No can, that's the only thing that's going to be left when like, we're all fucking dust. We'll hopefully still have the recordings, except if when AI takes over and fucking melts, melts <laughs> us all for fuel. you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Bring on the Terminator, huh? <laughs> and uh, the final one. So what song would appear
2: on the soundtrack to your life? Oh god, that's a hard one. Uh trying to think. Jesus, that's a hard one to think about. Uh trying to think now. Uh I don't know. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't be able to answer that because I haven't lived my entire life yet. So it's uh I don't know. That's a hard one to answer. I mean, I could just say a random fucking song now, but I don't know. Probably something by Billy Joel.
0: Never would have guessed.
2: <laughs> no, sorry about that. Like, it's a running joke, man. I mean, uh, 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 Johnny Holiday got me into The Boys, that show, because oh, you got to watch the show. they got a lot of Billy Joel. And they like, oh, fuck, I'm going to watch it, man.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. Listen, I... I'm blown away after like, I think 140 episodes or something. This has been the most interesting interview I've ever done. Thanks a million.
2: Thank you very much. I'm glad that my eccentricity could bring joy to someone.
1: I was tired of my lady We'd been together too long Like a one-out I him Of a favorite song So while she lay there sleeping I read the paper in bed And in the personal columns There was a letter I read If you like pina coladas Getting caught in the rain If you're not into yoga If you have ever a brain If you like making love at midnight In the dunes of a the cave Then I'm the love that you look for rather me and escape I didn't think about my lady I know the sound's kind of mean But me and my old lady Had fallen into the same old dumb routine So I wrote to the paper Took out a personal letter I'm in the champagne I got to meet you by tomorrow noon Cut through all this red tape At a bar called O'Malley's, Where we'll plan our escape with high hopes And she walked in the place I knew we smile smiling in an instant I knew the curve of her face It was my lovely lady Who said, oh, it's you Then we left for a moment And I said, I never knew That you like pina coladas and get it caught in the rain And the feel of the ocean And the taste of champagne If you like making love at midnight In the dunes on the Cape you all the lady I look for Come with me